Well, once again, welcome. Good to see everybody, of course. We have come here today, as we do every Sunday, but today's a special Sunday, the Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we say it almost every year, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in the history of the world. Many don't see it that way, but it is. And uh, it is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has both eternal and practical implications for the Christian. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, verse 19, Because I live, you will live also. Now, in saying that, the Lord wasn't just speaking of eternal life in heaven someday. He was, but not only that, but a life of victory and power on earth right now. The resurrection was never intended by God to be one day on a calendar. You know, a lot of people um, in our country call themselves Christians, and they celebrate the resurrection as one day on a calendar. God intended it to be an every, everyday dynamic way of life. So then what's the problem, you say? Why are so many Christians living in defeat when the Apostle Paul told us that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us, loved us by dying and by rising from the dead? Well, I think that one author put his finger on the problem. He said, and I'm quoting him, every year people climb a mountain in the Italian Alps and stand at an outside crucifix. There they remember that the Lord Jesus died. A tourist noticed that a little trail led off from the shrine of the cross. He made his way down the trail, and to his surprise he found another shrine overgrown with brush. This shrine symbolized the empty tomb. Unfortunately, it had been neglected. Reflecting on the experience, the tourist said it reminded him of many Christians who stop at the cross and never proceed to the empty tomb, end quote. I think that this writer has put his finger on one of the greatest problems facing the church in America. Too many Christians are living, listen, on the wrong side of the resurrection. Now by that I mean they believe that Jesus died for their sins. They believe that his crucifixion on Calvary's cross purchased their salvation. And so because they believe, they put their faith in Christ and are saved. They're saved. The problem is that their Christianity focuses on the crucified Christ, but stops short of really focusing on the risen Christ. And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that they don't believe in Jesus' resurrection. They do. I'm just saying, though, they never, they've never been able, from a practical standpoint, to move into, into all the fullness of what that life represents. When Jesus rose from the dead, that has incredible implications for us who are his people. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But look, think of it this way. A lot of Christians are living between the cross and the resurrection. It's like the children of Israel being trapped in the wilderness. They were delivered from Egypt, and so in that regard, in a spiritual sense, they were saved, and they did believe in the promised land. They just didn't have enough faith to enter into it, Hebrews 3, verse 19 tells us. And so they were what we'll call, for a lack of a better term, in-betweeners. In-betweeners. A spiritual in-betweener is someone who is saved, in other words, delivered from Egypt. Egypt is the type of the world, right? But who hasn't gone all the way into the life of the Spirit. 
the promised land of the Christian faith. Spiritually speaking, this is a terrible place to be in. As someone has said, and I'm quoting, these are the Christians who have too much of the Holy Spirit in them to allow them to be comfortable around worldly people, but too much of the world in them to feel comfortable around spirit-filled Christians. And so they're stuck between two worlds, end quote. Unfortunately, many Christians wander aimlessly in a spiritual wilderness of carnality and compromise their whole Christian life. Their whole Christian life. How do you think about this? Likening this to Israel in the wilderness, right? You remember how many people came out of Egypt. It was roughly two and a half, three million. A lot of folks, right? Some of them were children, so anyone under the age of 20, we're not going to count. But of all the adults that came out of Egypt, do you know how many actually entered the Promised Land? Two. Joshua and Caleb. Now, all the kids did, of course, but there's a lesson there that just because a person is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and has come out of Egypt, the world, and saved, it doesn't mean that's all that God wants for their life. There's more. It's not just about coming out of the world and being saved. It's about entering into what we call the life of the Spirit, which is our spiritual promised land. The difference between living on the wrong side of the resurrection, guys, is the difference between the disciples, listen now, the disciples' lives before and after Jesus rose from the dead. Turn to John 16. We'll be there in a couple years anyways on Sunday morning. You might as well get a little, get a little preview. Don't get nervous, I'm just kidding. Good golly, Martha, he's going to be... No, I... No. But, uh, but Jesus is talking now. They've left the upper room. They're on their way to uh, the Mount of Olives where he's going to spend the rest of the night before he's arrested and so on, right? Um, but he's preparing them for what's coming. They're still thinking he's going to establish the kingdom, going to lead them in a battle with the Romans and establish the kingdom. they still got a kingdom mindset going on. And he's telling them, look, some, some stuff is coming. That's going to make you very, I'm going to be taken from you. You're not going to see me. Then you're going to see me. Uh, and, and he's talking about being taken away from them in death and then rising from the dead, right? That's the context. So John 16, verse 19. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. We know what he was talking about. They did. Okay. Verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Notice Jesus said that after his death on the cross, his disciples would have sorrow, weeping, and lamenting but after his resurrection jesus said they would have joy a joy that would be lasting a joy that no one would be able to take from them is what he was going on to say right the question this morning guys is which side of the resurrection are you living on which side of the resurrection are you living on you say to yourself well i'm not sure how do i know all right 
Well, what qualities in general characterize your life? Anybody can have a bad day as a Christian. Okay, I'm mean, you know anybody can be attacked and, and be having a bad day, week. But but in general, overall, as you look at your Christian life, right? What characterizes your life? Is it joy, excitement, enthusiasm for the things of God, or is your Christian life, for the most part, characterized by defeat, emptiness, weariness, and pessimism? What changed the disciples from sorrow to joy? Well, very simply, it was seeing the resurrected Christ. Seeing the resurrected Christ. Again, verse 20. Most assuredly I say to you, that you will weep and lament and you will be sorrowful. Yes, at, at his death. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. Yes, at the resurrection when they see, saw the risen Christ, right? The point I'm making, guys, is that too many Christians are living like Jesus is, listen, still dead and buried instead of living, excuse me, instead of alive and living in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to reflect on that, okay? This, this is what this whole message is built around. I want you to, to, to open your mind a little bit because sometimes we get locked into certain things and perceptions and, and, and all, and, and we're not really kind of open to being stretched. I want to stretch you a little bit this morning, and myself, not just you, okay? The point I'm making is too many Christians are living like Jesus is still dead and buried. Now, they know he's alive. They believe in the resurrection. They're just, you know... But they kind of don't really live in that reality, all right? That Jesus is alive, living in their hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Jesus, they believe Jesus is risen. They just are not living like Jesus is risen. Look, the Bible says that we are in Christ once we're saved. We are in Christ. You find that all the way through the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings. The fact that once you're saved, you are placed in Christ. It's called being baptized into Christ. The word baptism appears numerous times in the New Testament. We always associate or often associate with water baptism. That's the most common baptism where, where we think of. I'm going to take you to a passage in Romans 6 in a second that talks about baptism, but it's a dry baptism. But the word baptism means, baptism means to be immersed. If you're placed in water, you're immersed in the water, you're baptized in water, okay? If you're placed in Christ at the moment of salvation, that's a dry baptism. Later, we baptize you in water to signify that. But you're immersed now in Christ. Have that in your mind, okay? The Bible says we're in Christ uh, once we're saved. And listen, everything that Jesus experienced, we have experienced because we are in him. Because he died, so have we. Because he was buried, so have we been buried with him. Because he rose from the dead, so have we been raised to the dead from the dead in newness of life. Turn to Romans 6. I've just pulled a few passages out of the New Testament. We could spend hours, really. The whole New Testament is loaded with passages on this idea that I'm trying to, in my own befuddled way, trying to communicate to you this morning, okay, about how we are in Christ. And everything Jesus is, we are. Everything Jesus has accomplished, we've been the recipients of. We're in Him, okay? But Romans 6, starting with verse 1, 
What shall we say then, Paul said? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now we're talking about a victorious life. We're talking about living a life that honors God, right? Paul is getting to that very point. He said, you know, shall we continue living in sin as new creations in Christ? God forbid he would go on to say, right? Certainly not, verse 2. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? They talking about us being identified with Jesus Christ. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're talking about an immersion into the body of Christ. Once a person gets saved instantaneously, the Spirit of God takes us from the world, places us in Christ, and we have to understand that position. And this is what Paul is talking about. We are now in Christ, okay? We were baptized into Christ and therefore into his death. Jesus died physically, but we die spiritually. Or, you know, uh, the old man, okay? Verse 4, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. See, the resurrection of Christ is our resurrection. This is something that the New Testament writers wanted to communicate in a very straightforward way. Most Christians don't think of it, though. They don't think of it. You don't have to turn to Colossians. I'll have you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, though. But Colossians 2, verse 12, Paul said, buried with him in baptism. Well, sure, we're baptized into the body of Christ. It's a dry baptism. But then we do take people down to the lake or the pool or some source of water to baptize them in the water to signify that death and burial and when they come up out of the water that resurrection life symbolic okay we were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of god who raised him from the dead so we died spiritually but rose spiritually from the dead ephesians 1 you guys gotta underline this maybe today sometime Ephesians 1, the verses I'm going to quote you, I think are some of the most powerful in the New Testament, especially on this subject, okay? Let me read it to you. Ephesians 1, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Let me stop there. This is what a lot of Christians don't know. I don't know why it's in the scripture, but the scriptures, I don't know why they don't know it. Paul knew in his day they didn't really understand it. That's why he said, you know, the prayer of my heart is that you would come to fully understand what you are in Christ. Think about that. What you have in Christ. Uh, in, in, that, you, that, your, that your eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. That you may know. Here it is. What is the hope of his calling? When the Lord called you and me and we responded and got saved, great. We're not going to hell anymore. Praise God, that's a good thing. It didn't end there. For too many Christians, it's like, well, I'm saved. That's all I care about. How sad. How sad is that? There is so much more that God has for you in Christ than just being saved. Well, it'd be like God delivering children of Israel out of Egypt and dumping them in the wilderness and leaving them there forever. 
He didn't have, that wasn't his plan. He wanted to take him to the promised land, right? But, but Paul says, I, I want you to know this truth, that, you're, that you understand what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness, listen, of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Where are we seated this morning? Well, yeah, okay. Well, what do you mean? I'm seated right here. Yeah, okay, I, I get that. But spiritually, because we're in Christ, we are in heaven with him. He's seated in heaven. And we have got to look at this life from that perspective. Too many of us are like Solomon looking at this life from under the sun. And it's emptiness and vanity and hopelessness and it's a mess. Our political eyes are way too focused under the sun. No wonder Christians are depressed. No wonder Christians have no joy. Get your eyes off of what's going on politically in our country. And get up in the heavenlies with Jesus and look down upon this life from, a, from an eternal perspective. And, and realize that we're in heaven with the Lord already. It's just a matter of getting the rest of us up there. Okay, uh, That's the rapture. Okay, but, but, you know, we're already up there with him spiritually. But the thing I wanted to bring out of here was that Paul says, one of the things I want you to know is your riches in Christ. How that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, the Holy Spirit. What, what are you doing with that power? Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and then he goes on to make his point. Of course he does. That's what means means being born again. The spirit of God lives inside of us. The same spirit, Paul said, that raised Christ from the dead. The same power. Now, what did Paul say in Philippians 3, verse 10? I want to know this power, the power of his resurrection. Yeah, you, you can't divide Christ up into little segments and only take what you want. So Paul goes on to say, and, and the um, fellowship of his sufferings, because that's what it means to be a, a Christian. We follow what Jesus, Jesus footsteps. But I want you to key in on Paul. So I want to know the power of his resurrection. Look, there is no reason a Christian who has the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of them has to live a life of defeat and depression when they can live a resurrection life full of joy and victory. So why are they? Why are they living like defeated people? Like Jesus never did rise from the dead. Again, the reason is too many Christians don't, don't live a resurrection life is because, as we have said, they're stuck between the crucifixion and the resurrection. They're stuck in a spiritual wilderness. Or in other words, they've applied the truth of the cross to their lives by faith and they're saved. But they've never applied the truth of the resurrection to their life by faith where they are now living in spiritual power and victory. And again, guys, to use one more time, it, it's, this, it's the same place, spiritually speaking, that Israel found itself in the wilderness. God, having delivered them out of Egypt through the blood of the Lamb, Moses being a type of Christ, led them out, right? And now they're in the wilderness, saved but carnal. That's what the wilderness represents. Uh, when Christians are in a wilderness, spiritually speaking, 
it, it's it's a, a time a place of carnality, uh, compromise, um, murmuring, complaining, never trusting God, always complaining about what they don't have, never thanking God for what He's given them. Will you read the Old Testament account of the children of Israel in the wilderness? Right, Moses finally said, "God, I I quit. These aren't my kids." Why do I got to put up with their constant complaining? But they believed in the promised land. Israel did. But read the book of Rome, uh, Hebrews. How it talks about how they were too carnal and full of unbelief to trust God to bring them into that place of blessing and victory. Problems are too big. There's big giants. There's giants. That we, we saw them. There's no, God wants to kill us. That's stupid. You know, Christians make these dumb, you know, God doesn't love me. Why? Because he didn't let me get that job. Well, maybe he's got something better for you. I, I You know, I got a story I'll say for another time, but, uh, you know, about Christians kicking doors in when God closed them because I'm convinced he wanted to redirect them to something better. And so finally God said, if that's what you want, have at it. Destroyed their marriage, destroyed their walk. It just, we have to understand, we have to trust God. A wilderness is a place where you don't trust God. You trust in your own instincts and so on, right? Um, as Christians, we believe in the promised land. What, what does that mean? Well, it's what Peter talked about, what, 2 Peter 1 4? In Christ, we have exceedingly great and precious promises. That's our spiritual promise. What is it? All the promises God has given to us in the New Testament. You ever see one of those little promise books? You can buy them at the Christian bookstore. I think Cindy's given them out at her pastor's wives' conference or uh, her retreats. It's just a book that says uh, God's promises. You open it up, and all it took is, is taken not only from the New but the Old Testament. All the promises that God has given to His people. You might say that little book is our spiritual promise land. Now do. Every, does every Christian walk in those promises? No. In fact, many don't. But we enter our spiritual promised land when we apply the resurrection of Jesus Christ to our lives by faith and enter into the life of the Holy Spirit where we now begin to experience. That, that's the key word, experience. Aren't you tired of your Christianity being theoretical? Don't you want it to be actual and experiential? I don't know about you. I love biographies. I told you that. The problem with biographies is, of great men and women of God, okay? The problem with biographies is after a while you get tired of living vicariously through other people's experiences. You want to start having your own now. And when I say experiences, I'm not saying some big, weird, kind of a, you know, weird thing. I just want to, I want to know the victory. I want to know, uh, you know, God using me in ways that go way beyond me. I want to know what others have known. It's great to read about what they've experienced with God. It, it kind of makes us hungry and thirsty to, 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 to experience that for ourselves. If there's ever a time in the history of the body of Christ in America, this time is a time we need to stop being theoretical in our understanding of the life of the Spirit and start stepping into and living the life of the Holy Spirit, right? At one point, Israel... Entered the promised land by faith. Read the story again. Uh, God parted the, the uh, Jordan River. And they walked through on dry ground. Into the promised land. That was a, they entered by faith. 
Okay. And once they were there, they began to experience fruitfulness, blessing, joy, and victory. Because now they had entered into that place where God had always wanted to bring them. You might say it's the perfect will of God. A lot of Christians are, you know, they're not living wicked lives. They're just not living a life that is exactly where God wants them to be. Life of the Spirit. I do believe there's such a thing as God's permissive will and God's perfect will. Well, a lot of folks disagree with that. But I, I really believe that. A lot of Christians are living in God's permissive will. But what about God's perfect will? About being in the life of the Spirit and all that means. And again, study Israel in the promised land, right? Let me put it this way. Living in the spiritual wilderness and not in the promised land, or as we have put it, living on the wrong side of the resurrection is like living your Christian life stuck in Romans 7 and then never entering into Romans 8. Okay, so what does that mean? Turn to Romans 7. We're not going to study the whole two chapters, but... Because this definitely goes along with what we're talking about, Okay. Let me say it again. Living on the wrong side of the resurrection is like Christians who are stuck in Romans 7 but never entering into Romans 8. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the classic battle every Christian believer faces uh, with regard to overcoming their fallen nature and, and walking in victory, is the idea. In Romans 7 verse 19, Paul said, I want to do, this, he's, now he's, he's recounting his struggles at one point in his life. He said, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Now I'm reading out of the NLT in like the New, uh, the New King James. You know, uh, uh, Paul says, look, um, I want to obey God's will. I don't want to disobey God. I find that I often do that, though. Uh, I don't want to you know, do what's wrong, but I, I find that I, I do that, okay, oftentimes. Verse 22, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, to his fallen sin nature is what he's talking about. That is still within me. Guys, Romans 7 is a chapter of defeat and ends with a cry of defeat, O wretched man that I am. I don't want to fail, but I do. I, I, I want to honor God, but I often don't. O wretched man that I am, and so on. Now you turn the page, the next chapter, Romans 8, is a chapter of victory and ends with a cry of victory. We are more than conquerors. You say, what happened? Uh, how did Paul go from miserable failure to glorious conqueror so quickly? All right, here it is. In chapter 7, Paul uses the personal pronoun I and me, listen, 46 times. I and me, 46 times. The focus of chapter 7 is self. Self. It was Paul's testimony of when he tried to defeat sin in his life through his own strength, raw determination, and hard work. 
And this is why it's a chapter of defeat, ending with a cry of defeat, O wretched man that I am. But chapter 8, a tremendously uplifting and victorious chapter, the key word in chapter 8, you probably guessed it, is the word spirit, as in Holy Spirit. The word spirit appears in Romans chapter chapter 8 23 times, more than any other chapter in the New Testament. In fact, in the whole Bible. And that's why it's a chapter of victory and ends with a cry of victory. We are more than conquerors. Let me paraphrase. Through, through what Jesus did and the indwelling Holy Spirit living inside my heart. Guys, this is an absolutely critical principle for victory in the Christian life. And one that is stated directly or indirectly throughout the entire Bible, both Old and New Testaments. Here it is. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. This is a principle that we all must remember when it comes to victory over whatever difficulty, bad habit, or problem we're facing. The battle belongs to the Lord. And listen. He alone can give us victory. Which means he wants us not to put our confidence in our own strength to be victorious over the enemies we face as Christians in our Christian life, but to rely solely on the Spirit's power. We've talked about this. In other words, he doesn't want you to make him promises to try harder. I'm going to try harder this year, God. New Year's resolutions. resolutions. Those are lame, lame because New Year's resolutions are promising God in your own strength to overcome areas of your flesh. You cannot use the flesh to conquer the flesh. We've talked about that ad nauseum. All right? You cannot try harder. Abide longer, yeah, in Christ, because the battle belongs to Him who lives inside of us through His Holy Spirit. But, uh, you know, I'm going to try harder this year, Lord, to give up smoking or drinking or watching pornography, right? You might mean well, but as Jesus told Peter, who made him promises he couldn't keep, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. What God wants from all of us, and I'm including myself now, we talk about victorious living. He wants us to get serious about our walk. I'm not saying that you are, are not necessarily serious. I know I can get more serious. Hopefully you can come to that conclusion too. He wants us to get serious about our walks and surrender our lives fully to the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the only way we're ever going to know true and lasting victory in our lives. Peter alluded to this same principle when he said in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the, through the knowledge of him who called us by virtue and glory. His divine power. I've got the word his underlined. The word power is the Greek word dunamis from which we get our English words, words dynamic and dynamite from. It's the same Greek word used in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Romans 1 16, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ, the gospel, for it is the power. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes the Jews first and also the Gentiles. Acts 1, verse 8, But you will receive power, Jesus said again, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere you go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
The same power that saved us is the same power that equips us for service and the same power of the Holy Spirit that conforms us each and every day into the image of our Savior, 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us. In other words, guys, it's the power that gives us total victory over our fallen sinful nature to make us all that God wants us to be, and the first thing on the list is victorious. Remember what Paul, uh, what Paul said to the Galatians? who were still trying in their own energy after being saved to be all that God wanted them to be. Galatians 3, verse 3, How foolish can you be? Paul said, After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? A lot of Christians fall into that category. The bottom line is that the Christian life is a supernatural life. It's not a glorified self-help program where God's going to give you a little kind of push over you know I, 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 I just need a little help Lord getting over this wall okay where I can land on the other side and have victory and be fruitful and so on I just need you to give me a little push God. that's the mindset it's, it's like it's like we're a quadriplegic lying on the ground we have no power to do anything I hate to put it this way the Lord has to kind of pick us up and throw us over the wall because that's the only way we're getting over that wall. That wall that is marked by defeat. And so the other side is victory. It's, it's, it's the spiritual promised land that we all want to eventually enter into. I love Ephesians 3.20. You have to write it down. You know it, most of you. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. The idea of God's mighty power at work within us is, of course, a reference to Jesus Christ living in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 18, I will come to you through the Holy Spirit, right? And this is exactly the point Peter is making in 2 Peter 1, 3, when he says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to to life and godliness. In the Greek, the he points us back not to God in general, but to Jesus in particular. You can look at 2 Peter 1, verse 2 to see that. But I believe, guys, it's Peter's way of saying the very thing Paul said in Galatians 3, excuse me, 2.20. You might want to turn to that one because you should have it highlighted. Again, Galatians 2.20 is one of the crux verses with regard to this whole subject about living a victorious life galatians 2 20 paul said i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ lives in me and the life which i now live in the flesh in this human body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me guys the power to live the Christian life doesn't come from a principle. It comes from a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He won the victory on Calvary's cross. He vanquished principalities and powers, Satan and his demons. And through his death and resurrection, he gained the victory. And since we as Christians are in him, well... All the victory and power we need to live the Christian life comes through Him.
Very simple. It is not a, a, a very deep, profound point. It, it's basically Christianity 101. The life that God is calling you to live is not a life you can live in your own strength. It's a supernatural life. And the sooner we get that through our heads and stop trying to live a supernatural life in the energy of our national, excuse me, natural attributes, the quicker we're going to be victorious. Paul said it. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith. The supernatural life that you enter into by faith, even as Israel entered the promised land by faith. But the just shall what? Live by faith. It's an everyday thing. It is faith, guys, that releases the power of God into our lives to be saved and to live for him in our daily Christian lives. It's not relying on our own strength, the strength of our flesh. Look, we're done, but I want to end with this. The resurrection guarantees a life of victory. Okay, in fact, the title of this message is Resurrection Victory. Okay? But that doesn't mean we have no responsibility to do anything in gaining that victory. Now look, anything that we talk about in the way of our effort, of course, has to come from the power of God. But, there, but the idea that we do nothing, we just lay there and say, okay, Lord, make me victorious, uh, that's not true either. That's not true either. You don't have to turn to these, write them down, Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, what? So walk in him. That's our responsibility. Galatians 5, 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, that's our responsibility. Yes, through the power of God, but our responsibility, right? Look, this implies purpose, responsibility, and effort on our part. Let me give you just some practical things that we need to do with Christians to have victory. And we'll close, okay? First of all, and I'm going to step on some toes with this first one. Um, you know, not that I enjoy doing that per se. I, I enjoy getting truth out. But uh, we are living in a culture that has brainwashed many of us into thinking certain ways. And when you step on people's toes in something they've been they embraced and believe they get, they get a little upset okay here's the first one how do i walk in victory what's my responsibility take responsibility for your sin take responsibility for your sin are you ready you're not a victim you don't have the disease of alcoholism or low self-esteem or sexual addiction or any addiction the medical community years ago, and I've read books on this, the medical community years ago made these behaviors, and that's what they are, uh, a, a disease is something you get, a behavior is something you do, but the medical community made these behaviors into medical diseases years ago so that insurance companies would pay for treatments. But the result was, that people release themselves from the responsibility of their actions. I mean, if you catch a disease, it's not your fault. You're a victim. You're a victim. Uh, you're not a guilty sinner, as the Bible says. 
The Bible never talks about the disease of alcoholism. It talks about a person being a drunkard. Somebody has said who was an alcoholic at one time, who got victory in Christ, they said, if alcoholism is a disease, it's the only disease you can give yourself and get cured of at will. At will. I'm not saying that some people don't have a propensity to certain drugs or even alcohol. But we all have a propensity towards some sin. And, and I have read journals that categorize certain behaviors as diseases. You would laugh if it wasn't so tragic and uh, it's so tragic. I mean, they've got these long names that they've given for kids who are rambunctious or for people that lie or cheat. It's all a disease. But that releases us from responsibility to taking, from taking ownership for my actions. Again, I, it's not me. I'm not a guilty sinner. I, I'm a victim of a disease. No wonder people aren't getting victory. They've convinced themselves they're not responsible. That's number one. Number two, purge your house and any place else you spend time, your car, your office, of anything that has a hold on you. Cigarettes, alcohol, uh, internet, uh, cable TV, certain foods. It wasn't until the Christians in Ephesus, Acts 19, purged their houses of all the occult paraphernalia, because Ephesus, big occult town. It wasn't until they purged their houses. Go through your houses. What is there that needs to go out? I, we did this when we first got saved. We got rid of everything. I, I'm convinced that the devil, his demons can attach themselves to objects uh, that can then he can then use to oppress. I mean, that's the whole idea in the occult. Uh, when you have things like the black hats or certain... Um, amulets or or physical things that will have power well it's demonic power they don't know that we do it wasn't until the christians at ephesus purged their houses and they didn't sell the junk on ebay okay they got rid of it a lot of money but they burned it and then it says then the word of god started to be powerful in their lives and god began to work number three Plan your day ahead of time, where you're going to go or not go, and then stay on your schedule. Guys, victory comes by living on what? Purpose. Daniel purposed in his heart. He wasn't going to defile himself with the king's food. He purposed in his heart he was going to walk in victory, and by God's grace, he did. And plan your escape right now before it ever happens, what you're going to do if you're tempted. I'm convinced Joseph in Genesis had planned a long time before Potiphar's wife grabbed him by the coat and said, come and lay with me. He was a godly young guy and he had purposed. If that was ever going to happen, he was going to run for his life and he did. And he didn't fall to that sin. There's one of our Calvary pastors who, when he first got into the ministry, he had a phone call, and he wasn't, um, 
he just was so in love with God and wanted to serve the Lord. He didn't exercise a lot of discernment in those early days. He admitted that. Gets a phone call. Oh, pastor, I need you to come over. I really need to talk to you. Okay, so he shows up at her house. She opens the door. She's wearing a bathrobe, opens it up. She's completely naked. He ran for his life. He said later, if I had not run, if I had succumbed to that, my ministry would never have been what it is today. The devil is trying to use that to bring me down. So I don't know what temptation the devil's got planned for you, but right now plan your escape. Don't go to places you shouldn't go to. Don't watch things you shouldn't watch. Don't hang out with folks you shouldn't hang out with. And if anyone approaches you, remember this, they are challenging. They are trying to steal everything that matters. Your, your health, your marriage, your family, your ministry, your relationship with God, everything is on the line. And you got a purpose right now if it's going to be worth it to you. It's not worth it to me to give up everything precious in my life for a few moments of pleasure. A lot of people make that trade. I'm convinced you've got to plan right now your escape, right? Number four, start each day in prayer. Giving yourself totally to God is, listen, a living sacrifice and trust that Jesus will live his life through you because James 4, 8, if you draw close to God, he'll what? He'll draw close to you. Implying you've got to make the effort. You draw close to him, get in the word, prayer, start your day. Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. I lay myself on the altar this morning. Take me and use me. And then I just trust that the Lord's going to do that. Start your day with purpose. Number five, confess your sin. If you're struggling with something, confess it to a close, spirit-filled friend. Men with men, women with women. I shouldn't have to say that, but I will. But make sure they're a mature, spirit-filled believer who will pray for you and not use it against you. The Bible talks about us having people that will come alongside us, like Aaron and her came alongside Moses to prop up his arm until the battle was completely won against the uh, Amalekites. We need each other. That's why it's wrong to isolate yourself from the body of Christ. We need each other to keep us count accountable. Number six, remember, we've already covered this, Galatians 2.20. Remember God has deposited into your account all the power you need to live a life of victory, but you have to draw on that power through faith. Through faith. What does that mean? I'm, I'm in Christ. Jesus won the victory over principalities, powers, my flesh. I don't have to smoke cigarettes anymore. And by his strength, I'm not going to. I trust he's going to live his life through me. He's going to deliver me from this, or pornography, or drugs. And you believe that. And you don't put him to a foolish test by keeping a, bag, a packet of cigarettes in your pocket thinking, well, I'll show the devil. I'm free. I'll just, you know, that, that's stupid. God delivers you from alcoholism. Don't take up a ministry in a bar. Okay? Use your head. And finally, verse seven, uh, number seven, the best defense is a good, strong offense. Come to church. Stay in the Word. Stay in fellowship with God's people. Christianity 101, right? It's when we isolate ourselves, the devil, and the devil peels us away from the body of Christ, our accountability, that he's able to really work us over and we fall in defeat. Guys, 
we're done, let me just say this. Let's all begin to purpose and pray for God's grace to begin living our lives on the right side of the resurrection. The resurrection was never intended to be one day on a calendar. God always intended it to be an everyday dynamic way of life. It's the resurrection life. Remember, victory is your, is my spiritual birthright because we're in Christ. The day we got, the instant we got born again, we were placed in Christ. And because of that, it's our spiritual birthright to be victorious, fruitful, joyful, and so on. Let's stop talking about it, and by God's grace, let's start living it, right? That's the message of Resurrection Sunday. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and the great and precious promises you have given to us in your word. And Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to stop hanging out in the wilderness, making excuses for why, even though we believe in the promised land, the spirit, life of the spirit, we're, we're still you know, stuck in the complaining, the murmuring, the carnality, the unbelief. Give us grace, Lord, to stop accepting this way of life as normal. And by your grace, may we enter in to the life of the spirit, the fullness of all that you have for us by faith. We thank you, Lord. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.